Alright, if you have your Bible, go ahead and please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's read the whole chapter as you get there, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. We've been talking about um, the pending suffering and the, the current suffering that was taking place within the, the early church. And <clears throat> Peter prophetically just able to just see things coming on the horizon. Peter would eventually be crucified, and because he didn't want to be crucified in the way his Lord was crucified, he asked that they would crucify him upside down. They honored that, and so uh, Peter knows. Peter knows prophetically. He knows either the Lord has revealed it to him, but suffering is coming. Ten waves of emperors will come right after this. Caesar Nero's on the throne here, but um, just starting with Caesar Nero, ten emperors would come and just persecute the church, kill, 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 kill all these Christians. And so uh, that's what he's addressing in First Peter. So we'll take a look at that. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word. We pray that you speak to us through it. We thank you for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read through the chapter, and that'll kind of uh, show you how he ends the chapter. Uh, but and then we'll break down the first four verses. We're just going to look at that. And it even gives us the title right there, Shepherd the Flock. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, he is going to end making sure that these who are struggling within the church recognize that God has raised up elders, leaders, for them to be able to look to and to be able to follow. They can follow their example. They can follow their teaching. Uh, But you're going to notice in the next epistle, when we get to 2 Peter, man, there were whack leaders that were were infiltrating the church. And so he's going to have to warn against false teachers. And so... The enemy is always loving to take that which God establishes and jack it all up and twist it up. And so 
Um, the first four verses, again, what we're going to look at, and it's going to be uh, just how to do what God has called us to do as leaders. All of us are leaders. All of us have some leader uh, responsibilities in our life, whether we're leaders because people are watching, whether we're parents, whether we're uh, at work and people are, again, looking for us as Christians to be an example, whether we're involved in relationships, whatever it is, we have an example to be able to display. And the example is looking to God. And what you want to do is identify where you're at with God. And if you're moving, no matter how big or how small, incremental baby steps in the direction of God or big, gigantic leaps in the direction of God, whatever it is, as long as you're moving in the direction of God, then that's what God desires for you and for me. That we're not perfect right now, right? None of us are perfect. None of us have figured out life. None of us have all the answers. Nobody is sinless in here. We sin, we struggle, we make mistakes. But we want to be able to reflect, Lord, where was I last year? Where was I a year ago, a month ago, six months ago? Where have, I, where have you brought me from and where am I moving towards? And so I think that's very important. And anytime we have these sections of Scripture like this, it helps us to look at what God expects for leaders. Um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are known as the pastoral epistles. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to young Timothy and young Titus who were pastors. And those are called the pastoral epistles. We include sometimes Philemon. You remember Philemon is a one-chapter little book in Ones on Onesimus. Onesimus, thank you. Um, Basically, own the slave name Philemon, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, he kind of did Onesimus wrong, Philemon, but uh, he comes to Paul, and Paul ends up you know, sharing the gospel with him, and he gives his life to the Lord. And then uh, Paul is encouraging Onesimus, hey, receive this brother like you would receive me. He's giving his life to Jesus. You know, forgive him for those things. Yeah, he owes you some money, and, and you know, maybe you could pay it off or whatever. He was a runaway slave. But, uh, you know, just... That's, that's one that we include in the pastoral epistles uh, because it just shows the heart of a true shepherd, of, of somebody who, you know, Paul, just he has a heart for this guy who just gave his life to the Lord. It's like, hey, be gracious, be careful. Look at where the Lord brought us from. So that's a neat little book too. Um, but then you have sections of scripture like this right here, 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 4, that directly are speaking to uh, the elders that are within the church and how they are to con con conduct themselves. Because again, there's a lot of charlatans, a lot of fake and phonies. I like stuff like, I don't know if you guys have seen, but they have um, Scientology exposed with... Uh, oh, that's a great show. Leah Remini. That lady right there. And, uh, you know, some people say she's bitter and she's, you know, mad. Yeah, she's bitter and mad. Yeah, uh, because of her whole life was given to this thing and millions of dollars were handed over to this church. And there's just a big fake phony... Uh, entity. Uh, Ron L. Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, said way back to a friend over a cup of coffee, hey, I bet you'd be a neat idea to just make up some religion. I bet you we can get rich. Yep, that's right. Crazy! You and now it. this thing is worldwide and just people taken. Uh, then she's exposing Jehovah's Witnesses and Jehovah's Witnesses, in case you don't know, is a cult. The definition of a cult is a deviation from Orthodox Christianity. So you have the tenets of Christianity but and then, whoo, they start getting off on these weird outlandish doctrines and things. Very controlling, if you think about cults. Mind control, they want to control your life. 
And so again, these warnings and these examples of what a shepherd, what a pastor, what a leader should look like are very important for us to be able to discern, hey, am I in a group that's kind of like kooky, crazy? Like, are they, you know, because it's fearful. You watch this stuff, Mormonism, another cult, there's all kinds of them that are out there. There's a portion of Seventh-day Adventists. There's one that's good. There's one that's bad. They had a split. Uh, Ellen White, I believe, was the founder, and her branch of it just went off. Very controlling, very legalistic. <clears throat> they had this thing called this shepherding movement that came out where, imagine this, you're in a church, and if you want to date somebody, you got to go to the leadership to ask them permission. And in some churches, churches of Christ, you can only date within that church. So you start looking around, you're like, nah, I got to go to another church. Oh, there ain't no money here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you'd be looking around before you join the church. You'd be like, oh, okay, a couple of honeys. All right, maybe there's a chance. You know, I'll stay here for a little bit. You know, or something. But uh, that's just crazy. That's crazy that people want to control your life like that. People want to lord over it. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But it's very important. Say it again. Masonic, yeah, they're definitely, uh, they're as good as the Bible that sits on the podium. They'll have a Book of Mormon, sometimes they'll have a Jehovah's Witness Bible, sometimes they'll have the New King James or the Old King James, the original King James, but it, it's more of a community outreach, Masonic Temple. And then they have a lot of Illuminati, a lot. lot of Illuminati stuff inter, intermingled in it so it can get off real quick. So, you know, little things we need to look out for. And so, the Bible doesn't only tell us, um, you know, how we're to behave, but it also tells us to, hey, look out for certain things because there's people out there that want to take advantage of you. There's certain people that are doing things with the wrong motive, with, with the wrong heart and intent of their heart. So these are things, again, that we need to, I think, look out for. So the first verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders... Who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Elder, shepherd, pastor, overseer, bishop. Pretty much interchangeable um, for the same person. An elder, it doesn't speak of somebody who's old, but somebody who's mature. And so we have elders at church, and they can be young, but they're mature in the Lord. And so they've been walking with the Lord for a while. They've been... They have enough, you know, sense to, they've been around the block, if you will, you know. And so, you know, you, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 that we need to be careful to lay hands too quickly on people because pride would set in someone's heart if you raise people up too quickly. Yeah. And a lot of churches, unfortunately, do that. They see people with a pulse and they're like, man, if we hurry up and get them into ministry, then they'll stay in our church. And so hurry up, give them an assignment. And so a lot of people will do that as a ploy to keep people at their church. Yeah. And so the Bible is, is against that. You want elders. You want individuals that are mature. You want individuals that, you know, they're not test, testing it out. They're not trying Christianity. It's like, nah, I'm born again. That is real. This is a real deal. I want to serve Jesus because I'm grateful for what he's done for me. And you've, you've walked. You're seasoned. A shepherd and a pastor, somewhat the same thing. It's kind of how you approach the people, how you um, love on the people. They're not our sheep. They're God's sheep. But a shepherd's heart is an individual who cares. He wants to feed the sheep. He wants to tend to the flock. And so we'll look at that a little bit. Overseer, obviously a leadership position as an overseer. Somebody who has a perspective that not everybody has. And so you're not just looking at this one person or this one situation, but you're overseeing. And imagine, you know, being up in the Goodyear blimp, being able to see the parade. 
as the parade is going by, if somebody's on the ground level, what they're seeing one float at a time, right? One thing at a time, one marching band at a time. Up in the Goodyear blimp, you can see the whole thing from beginning to end. An overseer has that perspective. They're not just looking at one situation and they're going to slam somebody or they're going to be rough or things like that. No, 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 no. They're looking at the whole thing. They're looking for the well-being of the church, not just, again, one situation or one individual. And then a bishop is just the title that is given. All those words interchangeable. If you read uh, Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read you a few verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible says, Therefore take heed to yourselves, Paul warning the elders or the pastors in Ephesus, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so take heed to yourselves first and then to all the flock. The most important relationship with a le- for a leader, first and foremost, is their personal relationship with God. I don't know how we got it, but today we have rock star pastors. Yeah. We've got individuals that they drive up in some nice vehicle and they show up for the teaching engagement and then they shake a couple hands and boom, vamanos, they're out, they're gone. And it's like, whoa, I, I, had, I had needs. I wanted somebody to pray with me. Where, you know, where do I do? Where do I go? Oh, okay, bummer. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know where that happened. I don't know how that came about. Pastor Chuck Smith, as our example, our leader, did not demonstrate that rock star mentality. World known. He was known around the world. And he was humble picking up cigarette butts in the parking lot at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, until he went home to be with the Lord. He was serving the Lord two days before he died. Two days he was in the pulpit. He was sick. He was feeling it. God was, his body was already just, just deteriorating. Sunday, and he's gone home Tuesday. Just a man who wanted to serve God with his life. And so, just a neat example. Um, overseer, these are the same... As elders and pastors, the word stresses the leader's responsibilities to watch over and protect their congregation, an appropriate usage in the context of a warning against false teachers. Church rule, which minimizes the biblical authority of elders in favor of cultural democratic process, is foreign to the New Testament. So what that commentator was saying as I wrote this quote down is... An overseer is somebody who watches out, who looks out for the flock and has a say in what's going to be taught and how things go within the church. It, it's not just, oh, we got, I got an equal vote. Oh, your opinion's just as valid as anyone else's. No, no, no. God has raised up a leader for a purpose to lead. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, the Bible says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So we are to give a certain amount of respect. I think there's two extremes with leaders in the church. I think one, they elevate them too much and it's like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And it's almost like that rock star, like, like untouchable kind of uh-huh. position. You're a person. You're just a person. Like, you sin, I sin, we all, we're all in this together. And so, I don't think that's the approach to, well, the, the, the pastor told me. And so, hopefully the pastor is confirming what God already told you. Amen. Or what the pastor tells you is going to be confirmed with God. And I tell people this all the time. People will come to me, 
And they'll say, hey man, I think the Lord told me, da 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 and I'll be like, Lord didn't tell you that. Lord didn't tell you that. But never will I say the Lord didn't tell you that. Time will prove it. Because my voice can never be a greater voice than God in your life. Never. If you believe that the Lord, shame me, you know, just make me look dumb then. In my head, I'll say, told you that, but let's see. Now, if they give me a direct contradiction, because you'll get this. You'll get a guy who met his secretary, and he's been married, and he's frustrated in his marriage, and he'll be like, man, dude, I, I, met, my soul, I, soul, I met my soulmate. Not for reals. You don't even know. Dude. Like, I made a mistake when I got married with Honey over there, but she's a mess. But man, this this 22-year-old, he's 50-something, you know, and it's like, no, bro, that ain't your soulmate. Now, right there, you know, I'll let somebody know, no, bro, that ain't, no, that ain't, that ain't right. You know, your soulmate is at home. Go love her. <laughs> but be careful with that. But for the most part, I can't have a greater voice. No leader should have a greater voice in your life than God. And you need to learn to discern God's voice. You need to learn to hear God's voice. You need the voice. You need to know when God is speaking to you. And then a pastor, a leader, should be able to confirm that. Or when the pastor tells you something, God will confirm it later through the scriptures through his, his check in your spirit, through something. So the Holy Spirit is the most important thing to guide you, okay? Um, but nonetheless, you see the, the attitude we have. So the, the extreme is we either elevate a pastor way, 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 way too high, or just another dude. Not just another dude. God has raised an individual up to be a leader. Then we, we, should, we should respect that. There's an anointing. Um, brother over here told me Sunday that he had... He had had a vision that the Lord had given him for me, and it was pretty cool. I was in a, I was at a, a young adults retreat uh, a while back, and this is your your vision kind of what you, your word that you shared with me reminded me of this. Uh, it was probably we're in 2018. It was probably 15 years ago. So I'm at a leadership retreat. Uh, I'm the pastor of the College and Career Ministry at Calvary Chapel Downing, and I remember the the leaders of of the ministry. They said. Pastor Johnny, we want to pray for you. So, you know, get over here in the circle and we're going to lay hands on you. So I was like, ah, oh, cool, man. My leaders want to pray for me. That's pretty awesome. So I got on my knees. They laid hands on me and they were praying for me. And then after the prayer, this dude said, dude, God just gave me this incredible vision. He goes, I saw you like David, like King David. And God was pouring oil on you, anointing you for yeah. ministry. Amen. Amen. And I was like, Amen. <laughs> Lord, why? Why me? But that has never left my mind yes. of how God does that. And that's when our words, when we share, the words become true because God takes them and rings them true to an individual that's anointed. It's not the individual. Amen. It's God. It's God being able to do that. And so yeah. very important we understand that. So on one extreme, we, it, it's not a rock star. It's not an untouchable. But on another extreme, hey, let's respect the position. Amen. And if we're not sure if something is spoken and it doesn't ring right in your heart, pray about that. Ask God to reveal it to you. And never, ever, ever be afraid to come up to me respectfully, pull me aside and say, Hey, bro, you're whack. That thing you said, that's crazy. Like, don't do that anymore. That is just wrong. I'll receive the correction. I need the accountability. I invite it. I desire it. 
I know that I can say stuff that I was listening to my message on Sunday and I was like, man, why did I quote Moses when I was supposed to say Joshua or something? I said one name and I was supposed to say another name and I, I always do that. Was, was that? You, you said the book of Joshua instead of the book of Daniel. And it was the book of Daniel. Daniel. Exactly. <laughs> See, you pay attention, don't you, Mark? You listen. That's crazy. That's scary, bro. That's scary that you listen. So let's be careful with those two extremes. Let's not, you know, rock star, untouchable. No, just one of us. But at the same time, hey, God has put people in positions. We should respect that authority that God has given them and, you know, appreciate it. The next verse on that is Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. That part's for the overseer. We, Brian, uh, all the leaders in the church, Joshua, there's three pastors, me, we're going to have to give an account to God for how we did what God called us to do. So when we're in these positions of leadership, we give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Your part is to recognize that you obey those who rule over you and be submissive. To what extent? He's going to go on. The word elder emphasizes their spiritual maturity. There's three motivations uh, are given to elders in this verse. First, there was motivation by identification with Peter. He said, uh, who referred to himself as a fellow elder. So, Peter's just an elder. Is Peter the first pope? Right here would have been a great opportunity for him to tell us, right? I am Pontus Peter, the first and the highest and the almighty. No, he doesn't say it. He just says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow worker with you guys. The other leaders, I'm a leader just like them. He didn't say he's the greatest leader. Was Peter the greatest apostle? Yes. Based on any time you read a list of any one of the... Um, names uh, of all the apostles. Who's named first every single time? Peter. Really? Yeah, every single time. If you're seeing the list of 12, if you're seeing the list of three, Peter, James, and John, Peter's always named first. So yes, he did have a place of preeminence within that group of apostles, but what does he say here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1? He says, I who am a fellow elder. Hey, I'm just an elder, just like the other elders. So that was number one, fellow elders. Second, there was a motivation by authority, by noting that he was a witness of the, of the suffering of Christ. And in the book of Acts, when they're picking Matthias, exactly what he just mentioned, um, to be an apostle, one of the twelve, you had to have seen Jesus in ministry. So you had to, that's why many believe Paul is not the twelfth apostle, but he's the apostle of the Gentiles. So, you know, a little little disagreement in, in who you think the 12th one was. Matthias was the one that got the strong, right? So it's interesting because we're going to see 12 thrones on, in heaven for the apostles. 12 thrones for the tribes of uh, nations of Israel. So who's going to be there, Matthias or Paul? Paul's we, going to have his own separate seat. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll see. If, it's, if, you, if you study the Bible inductively, you'd have to say Matthias. But if you go with your heart, you'd probably have to say Paul. Absolutely. What do you think, Brian? I lean towards Paul, but I wouldn't make a dogmatic statement. One or the other. Amen. You know, I think that that's kind of a trick question because I still believe that God is still having apostles these days. Yeah, but there's only 12 like that. So one apostle came from God the Father, Jesus Christ. 12 came from Jesus Christ, those 12 that are mentioned, and then either Matthias or Paul. 
And then many apostles come from the Holy Spirit. Correct, right. And they're alive and well, the gift of apostleship. An apostle just means one who's sent out. So you have this overriding visionary type of way to see things. And, and those, those people are awesome to come in contact with because, man, they have, a, they have a world vision for God. It's awesome mm-hmm. when you come across somebody who has the gift of apostleship. Anybody ever meet one? Yeah. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, we have a friend, Jeff Fadness. Definitely has that gift. Went to Russia, started a church out there, gave it to somebody, raised somebody up, and did that seven times. Seven churches in Russia when the uh, Iron Curtain fell and they were able to go, the church was able to go in. And like, I think he was there at least 10 years. Seven churches. Just one after another. Raising up churches, boom, thriving, and then goes to another city, starts a church, boom. And then the third thing. Third, there was the motivation by anticipation, the fact that Christian leaders will one day receive from the hand of Christ the reward for their service should be a stimulant to faithful duty. So those were the three motivations. Verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. So to shepherd the flock of God, after the motivation comes the exhortation, verses 2 through 4. Since the primary objective of shepherding is feeding, that is teaching, every elder must be able to teach. So I've I've come across a lot of great teaching pastors. To have a teaching pastor that's shepherd or has a shepherd's heart is very rare, though. I don't know what it is, um, but man, there's just a lot of great, 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 great teachers out there. And so that's definitely one of the things that we should be able to do. In John 21, verse 15, it's interesting, Peter's uh, discussing this, and Peter would fail Jesus three times, and then Jesus is going to restore him after he dies on the cross, and he comes back, and remember that scene where Peter's out there fishing, and um, Jesus is on the, kind of on the, on the sand there on the shore, and he's grilling some fish, and Peter doesn't find any fish, he can't find any fish, and then Jesus comes to him, verse 15. This is John 12, 21, 15. He says, so when they had uh, eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? That's an interesting question. What do you think the more than these is? It's either the fish or his other apostles, his friends. Do you love me more than your friends or do you love me more than fishing? Now, if you're a true fisherman, you know, he's probably talking about fishing. Because Peter went back to what he did before Jesus, when Jesus found him. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Do you love me more than me? Uh, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Interesting play on words here. Jesus is saying, hey, do you agape me? And Peter is saying, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I'm very affectionate toward you. Why? He just failed him. He just failed him. He's humbled. Lord, uh, I'll, I don't care if anybody goes with you, you, you. I'll die with you. And he meant it, huh? Peter's gangster, uh, gangster uh, apostle, right? Yeah. Cuts off Malchus's ear, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wakata! Crazy. Um, so again, he said to him, uh, notice what Jesus' response is. He said to him, feed my lambs. What's God's priority there? He wants his sheep to be fed. He said again a second time, son of, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, agape? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. He said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. What's God's priority for the shepherd? To make sure that those sheep are well taken care of and fed. That they cut, because that's how we grow. Faith comes by hearing and not by the word of God. So our faith grows as we sit under sound doctrine, under teaching. First Timothy chapters one, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying of a man desires the position of bishop, which is a pastor. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one, one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Apt to teach. That's an interesting word in the Greek. It doesn't just mean the ability to communicate truth. But it means, there's this other little side thing that it means. Able to receive. Able yeah, to receive. Intrinsic, yeah. Isn't that a neat thing? Have you ever met somebody who knows a lot of information and they can't receive? That's what we call prideful, stubborn people. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't. Ah, yeah, you're talking truth, but dude, you're just a jerk. Right? That comes across like, oh, I don't even receive anything from you. To be able to be a teacher, you got to be a receiver. To be able to teach, you have to have that disposition where you genuinely know, it's not about me, it's about God. I'm pointing people to God. I'm sharing God's truth. This isn't my truth. I'm not making it up. Okay? So we got to be teachable. Not only the ability to teach, but you got to be teachable. And if you're not teachable, you're not going to be very received. And again, talk to somebody for any length of time, and you're going to know if they're teachable, aren't you? Because you're just seeing, oh my gosh, this person just, they don't receive nothing. I told them this, and they just shined it off, right? Involved in feeding the flock is also protecting the flock. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, the Bible says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And that's sad, right? But there's people out there that are Satan's plants. And I wonder, like, you ever wonder, like, somebody sitting in a, in a, in a group and then, like, some lies are being just shared, like, and somebody knows, like, that ain't true. That's a lie. Like, what do they do with that? Like, somebody's sitting in a kingdom hall. At some point, some lie is going out because, right, they have doctrines of demons and there's lies. And you imagine somebody just sitting there and being like, yeah, that ain't true. That ain't true. I'm going to be bouncing after this. Respectfully, no, I just no wait. But I would imagine, right, at some point, uh, I was, my friend was sharing with me who's a pastor, and he talked about a, a pastor in his neighborhood who had these men, and the way these men would come on to being uh, helpers or leaders or be involved in ministry in the church, they would grease the pastor, they would grease his hand. So they'd take out a hundred, little Benjamin, oh, right? Yeah, like, Fold it up, and they'd shake oh, the pastor's hand, put that hundred dollar bill in his hand, and he'd be like, oh, so you want to... It's, you, want a little love you want to be a servant in church. Oh, cool, cool. So this pastor had this group of guys that he would, he would kind of surround himself with who you know, took care of him, if you will. And he uh, goes to Vegas. True story. Goes to Vegas. And that's how he unwinds. He goes to Vegas. And it gets to the point where he was not only soliciting women, but wanting some of these guys to do him sexual favors as well. Oh, Lord. 
again, at what point are you like seeing this and you're like, check please. <laughs> I, yeah, this ain't ministry, bro. This ain't what I was saying. This is temple prostitution. What the heck's going on? That was condemned in the Old Testament. So, I mean, we always want to have our antennas up and our ears open for false things and, and things that aren't right because notice the warning that he's given. From amongst yourself, individuals are going to rise up. Savage wolves to, to deceive the flock. And he, Paul is warning, letting them know, this is going to happen after my departure, once I leave. So I think it's very important that we're not only feeding the sheep, but we're warning the sheep. Why? Because if we're just feeding them, sometimes we're fattening, up, fattening them up for the kill of the enemy. Oh my, my, my. So we're just fattening up sheep, feeding, 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 fat, fat. Never warning that there's um, counterfeits on the horizon, that there's false doctrines out there, that there's false teaching. The Bible calls them doctrines of demons. And we need to look out for that. Being able to sit under the word for a period of time gives us sound doctrine and it gives us discernment to be able to know truth from error. What's, what's true and what's false. And when we see false, we should know it because we're sitting under sound teaching. All right. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word, conduct, love, in spirit, and in faith. And that I get from the end of verse 3 there where he says, um, Where is it? For dishonest gain, but eagerly. Is that verse? Oh, there it is. Be an example, but be an example to the flock. Okay? Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Um, there's a portion here that I wanted to hit on before we close. We're wrapping up. Um, this Verse 3, shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving those overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. So the motivation of why we serve is very important. Compulsion, we can't be lazy. can't be lazy if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're serving in the church. You can't be lazy because the work is definitely more than what anybody can handle. But if you're lazy, it's, it's just, man, too many things are going to slip through the cracks. And then if you're in it for the money, you're definitely, definitely in the wrong. The, the ones that are you know, getting rich off of this thing are far few in between. Uh, there are a lot. I came up as a, as a baby Christian under two great gods who were on the radio. Two great guys. They think they're gods now, but uh, two great guys. And then they went the way of that prosperity gospel. Oh, my God. Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin. They were phenomenal teachers back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then little by little, that prosperity gospel started to creep in. And you can hear it. You can hear it in their teaching. And it, 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 just, it just like, uh jolts you in your seat like, oh, now they're about the money. The and they got rich. Yes, they did. But the doctrine just kept... That was all they talked about. All they preached about. And so you'll, you'll notice at Calvary Chapel Downey... Uh, not Downey. Living Water here in Garden Grove. No Very rarely do we take up offerings. We put the agape box in the back of the church. It sits back there because people know that they're supposed to tithe. And if they don't, maybe they're young. But when it comes up in scriptures, we'll talk about money. But money is not a thing. Um, I was talking to somebody on a trip. I was going up to Big Bear in a, on a bus trip. I was taking a group of kids, actually, and I was talking to one of the leaders. And she said that her mom attends a church that asks for seven to ten offerings every service. service? Oh every service. Every service. And so 
Nobody should be in this for the money. Nobody should be in this because they're greedy. If you're greedy, it's not a good thing to get involved because money does flow. Money comes around. You know, people are giving their money for the purpose of the ministry. They're not giving it to fatten your pockets. And so, um, something that we can't have as a motivation. So he talks about a crown of glory. The Bible mentions, and I'll close here, it mentions um, a crown of life. It mentions a crown of righteousness. It mentions a crown of rejoicing. And then it mentions one more, uh, that our crown is not perishable, but it's an imperishable mm-hmm. crown. And so there's various crowns that will be given out. One is for faithfulness and ministry, and then these other ones. I'll close with these scriptures, James 1.12. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So a crown of life for endurance. A crown of life for just sticking with it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. But you just come back to Jesus every time. Isn't that neat? I just got to come back. Oh man, I don't know how far off I got, but... Man, I just got to come back. That's endurance. It's not this perfect straight line. Might be ups and downs. Might be little jagged edges. But I just come back because like Paul, no, Peter would say in in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I got to come back to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Crown of righteousness for the the anticipation of the Lord coming. God, I need you. I need you to come. I want you to come. And Lord, I'm looking. And I'm living my life as though you're going to come. Crown of righteousness right there. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? When you serve in ministry, imagine those people that you're able to take and say, Lord, I poured into these. I was faithful with these. Lord, you gave me three. You gave me a Bible study of three. I present them to you. Whoa, crown of rejoicing right there for faithfulness in ministry, right? And then um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, as it relates to not, that does not fade away. It says that everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So the rewards that we will see receive uh, from the Lord when it's all said and done for faithfulness and ministry, it's imperishable. It's not going to waste away. It's not going to die. And that's what we're serving for. That's what we're living for, to hear the Lord tell us, well done, good and faithful.